Today I'm going to deliver a sermon entitled, Overcoming the Guilt of Sin. I believe that all of us will readily admit that we are sinful people, that weaknesses and failures and shortcomings fill our lives. And so the admission of sin, the confession of sin, is really not our, our greatest problem. I believe that our greatest problem is that we sometimes fail to live above the guilt of sin. And the guilt of sin can have a devastating effect on our emotions as a human being, our self-respect, our dignity, and our emotional stability. I don't believe that we will ever be able to have confidence in our salvation until we have victory over the guilt of sin. And so I would like to share with you today a few points that perhaps will be helpful in having a better understanding of God's grace and better understanding how, how our sins have been dealt with by gracious God. First of all, we must recognize that Jesus and only Jesus can give us freedom from the guilt of sin. Paul said in Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this flesh through death? He said, I thank God that it's through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And this is not just any Jesus of whom Paul speaks. He is an old Jesus. He's the Jesus that the prophet Micah talked about in Micah 5, 2, who said of him, his goings forth are from old to everlasting. He is an old Jesus. And he has been around for a long, long time. And he's been forgiving every kind of sin and ungodliness that the world has ever known since the days of Adam and Eve when they fell into sin, since the day that Cain murdered his brother Abel, since the day of polygamy, since the day that the Sodomites left their name for nothing but shame and disgrace, Jesus Christ has been forgiving people. And there's nothing new for him to forgive in the 21st century. Jesus Christ is faithful. He's been forgiving these things through the years. And therefore, he will not forsake you and he will not forsake me because he wants to help you and me. Never is a beautiful word. And Jesus said, never, ever will I ever forsake you. Are you listening to me? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. He runs to us in moments of weakness. He doesn't run away from us. That's what the Bible, not what the Bible teaches. In 1 John 2, 1, John said, My children, I write these things to you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. John considered himself a sinner. He said, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate is, means one who runs along the side of to offer aid and help and assistance. And that's what Jesus does as our advocate. He runs to us in order to help us. In the second place, God does not want us to brood over our sins once they have been confessed. 
As long as we have the right attitude towards sin, as long as we care, and as long as our personal assessment of sin reflects the mind of Jesus Christ, we have a right to live in peace and go onward. If the cross of Jesus Christ means anything, it means that once we have been penitent about sin and we express concern, once it has been felt and manifested and dealt with, then Jesus Christ paid the right for you and for me to lift up our heads and go onward. Not, we are not to continually brood and worry over our sin. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, you will find rest unto your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11, 28 through 29. He said that in contrast to the yoke of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day who placed a yoke upon the necks of the disciples they were not able to bear. That's why over and over again the New Testament writers would say, beware of the yoke of the Pharisees because they were law lovers, but they were not God lovers. And they certainly were not people lovers because they really didn't care. And Jesus said, you need to come to me and take my yoke upon you because I will not require of you more than you can give. I will not lay on you a greater burden that you cannot bear. And that's what he said. Number three, it does not matter how we feel about our sins emotionally. God is greater than that. He's greater than our hearts. And we are still a part of God's family. Listen to this verse in 1 John 3, 19. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. Does your heart ever condemn you? Has there ever been a time when you felt estranged from God and you didn't feel confident in your salvation? Listen to this verse. God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows that we belong to him. He knows that we are his children and that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, the disciples had been out performing miracles, casting out demons. They came back to Jesus so excited and rejoicing, saying even the, the demons were subject to us. And Jesus said, you know, that's great. And that's good. But don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice. Rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. You see, it matters not how knowledgeable we are, how much scripture we know, and all the rest. What really matters as children of God is whether or not our names are written in the last book of life. Number four, we need to recognize that we will never, never be flawless 
in any area of life because we are but human. And that's not an excuse, that's a fact. I want you to think of all the areas in your life where you're the strongest, where you are the strongest, and you have those areas. But then ask yourself, am I flawless in any of these areas? Well, if you're not flawless in the strongest areas of life, whatever gave you the idea you would be flawless in any area of your life? Listen, all have sinned and failed and fallen short of God's glory. Romans 3.23. And there's nobody sinless. Not me, not you, not Noah, not Moses, not even the great man Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, in the very chapter where God promised Abraham that through his seed all families of the earth would be blessed. Abraham lies. He goes down in Egypt and he lies to Pharaoh about his wife, Sarah. He said, she's my sister. Why did he do that? Why did Abraham lie on this occasion? Because it wasn't just a lie, it was a lack of faith. He was afraid of being killed. In spite of the fact that God already told him out through your seat, he doesn't even have a child at this point. But God had already promised him, Abraham, through your children, the world is going to be blessed. But here he is afraid of dying. He's got a good-looking woman. Sarah was a good-looking older woman. And he's afraid, afraid that Pharaoh is going to kill him and take his wife into his harem. And so he lies about it. Right in the area where he was the strongest, he fell flat of his face. You see, you think and say and do things under pressure that you would never dream of thinking and saying and doing otherwise. And we all from time to time get under pressure. Even John the Baptist, the one that Jesus said, there's none greater than him. There's none greater than John the Baptist. And yet John the Baptist found himself in a rat-infested prison. Got under pressure, knowing that Christ and his disciples are out there going all over the place. Here he is sitting in a prison. And he sends a message to Jesus and said, are you the one or should we look for that? He stumbled in some way in regard to Christ because he was under pressure. Again, we think and say things that we would never do otherwise when things are going our way. Even great men and women of the Bible failed God. There's nobody flawless. Nobody. And yet, and yet, let a man today or a woman today or a boy or a girl make a mistake and everybody and their mother jumps on him or her with both feet, especially in the political field. What hypocrites we sometimes are. And so if I fall flat on my face, I do not want you to justify my sin, you understand, but I do want you to give me a break. And if I see you falling flat on your face, I will know that you're a sinner 
but I'll give you a break. And I'll not highlight your sin, and I'll not talk to somebody else about your wrongdoing. Love covers a multitude of sins. Are we trying to minimize sin? Are we trying to justify or speak casually about sin? Sin is a monster. Not at all. We're trying to be honest and admit the fact that we are all flawed. Every last one of us. And we need to be able to overcome our guilt. Number five, and last of all, we can be confident in our salvation because the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us of all sin. In 1 John 1, 5, God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You see, we cannot walk anywhere we want to walk and still have fellowship with God. We do have to be exercising concern over our sinfulness. And we do, don't we? That's why we struggle with our guilt. Because we do care. And we do want to walk in the light. We do want to walk toward the light and see more light that comes from the Word of God. We do want to walk in and upon the Word of God, don't we? And if we do that, if we try, if we strive, if we struggle, and if we don't give in and give up, the Bible says that if we will do that, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us of all sin. And anytime you find a verb ending in TH or ETH in the Bible, it's continuous in action. The Williams translation translates it that way. The blood of Christ continues to cleanse us, continues to cleanse us of all sin. I used to look at that verse and think that if you walk in the light, you don't sin. That's not what that verse states. That verse states that you sin while you walk in the light. But what occurs, the blood of Christ washes away and cleanses us. And that's the grace of God. Walking in the light is not a matter of walking carelessly and uncaringly. And what's the result? We can know for sure that we have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13, at the end of this little letter, John said, These things I have written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. There are two Greek words translated know in the book of 1 John. Genosko and oida. Genosko is the process of coming to know. Oida is to fully and completely know. And it's oida that John uses here. He says, I'm writing these things to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you might fully and completely know that you have eternal life. And that's our confidence. Sometimes Christians want to back away from the confidence that New Testament Christians had. Paul said, I know whom I have believed in and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed in him against that day. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. And over and over again, New Testament Christians stated total confidence in their salvation. Not that they were confident in themselves, 
They were covering the one who died for them on Calvary's cross and was raising the dead by the grace and glory of God. God is faithful and God is true and God not only wants us saved, He wants us to know we're saved. I don't know about you, but I need to hear this. I need to hear myself say this because I know it's true. And sometimes I have doubts and sometimes I struggle. And I'm sure you do as well. So who can know? Only those who believe on the name of the Son of God. Those of us who believe in His power, His authority, and His sovereignty. Who believe that everything they ever said is absolutely true, absolutely essential, and the very thing that must be done. Everything for which His name stands, we believe in that. He's our Redeemer. And we know that and we believe it. And because we believe it, we know we have life with Him. And that's why we were baptized into Jesus. Because that's what He commands of us. <coughs> Preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth that is baptized shall be saved. What must I do to be saved? Believe in Jesus, repent of my sins, confess Him as Lord, and be baptized into Him for the remission of my sins. What must I do to stay saved? Four words. Walk in the light. And if you need to do that today, we're here to pray with you and for you. And just remember this. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin.